Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Pursuing your future doesn't end at 40. In fact, it may mark the beginning of knowing who you are, what you're capable of, and what you really want. But knowing what's next and how to get there can be a challenge, especially when old narratives play on repeat. Liberty Road is here to share stories so that you can consider your possibilities, pursue your purpose, and move into your future with intention. I'm your host, Netta Jones, and we're here to listen, learn, and liberate dreams one episode at a time. Well, hello, Liberty listeners. Welcome to another episode of Liberty Road. Today, you guys get to hear from Ramey Brooke, and I'll let her introduce herself and tell you what she does. But you're in for a treat, so hang tight. Ramey, welcome to the show. Thank you, Netta. So happy to be here. And all the way from New York. I love when we have these across-country conversations. So tell our (laughs) audience a little bit about what you do. Thank you. So uh, my name is Ramey Brooke. It's actually Ramey Brooke Sharp. But my brand is called Ramey Brooke, and we um, design women's contemporary clothing. Everything from tops and dresses, denim, outerwear, sweaters. Over time, the collection has grown. Uh, What once started as just some sexy tops and one sexy dress has turned into a full women's contemporary brand. That's how you started, right? You were literally looking for something. That's exactly how I started. Yeah. Yeah. What was your background? Like, did you have a background in fashion? No, I mean, I wasn't formally trained in fashion, but I grew up in a house with all girls. I have two sisters and a very fashionable mother who actually made our clothes all through our childhood. She um, was a teacher, so she wasn't in fashion either, but she just had a sewing machine and she loved dressing us all alike. So she would make us like little cute stuff. And I always say for sports, she just took us to the Short Hills Mall. So that's yeah. what we did every weekend. <laughs> so I'm like a professional when it comes to the sale rack, for sure. Yeah, you, and I you can know tell how you to do that. And I like that. 
<laughs> oh, yeah, that's the only rack we went to, right to sale. So in terms of formal training, there was nothing that I went to school for, but my whole life was surrounded by fashion. And so I guess that set me on a path, yeah. which I eventually found. And did you do anything professionally that you're sort of leaning into now where you're like, oh, I'm glad I had that experience? Right out of college, I was in advertising mm-hmm. for over 10 years. And I worked for very big corporate companies. In hindsight, it's a great way to start my career. Yeah. Because with these corporations, you have a lot of rules and you have to learn a lot of skills. And I feel like even people skills, um, how to deal with a boss, how to deal with somebody who reports to you. I got a lot of experience in that way, which hopefully has helped me be the leader I am today. You know, people hear this idea of entrepreneurship and they think you work for yourself so you don't have to ever abide by any of those corporate rules that you learned. But the reality is all of your clients, all of your vendors that you're working with, the stores that you're in, those are all corporations for the most part. And so you're you're taking that skill set and applying it. Yeah. I was in my 20s when I started that world. So it definitely helped me grow and learn. So I'm always curious, especially in an industry that seems so difficult to break into, like what was the first thing you did when you realized, I want a top to go with my bottoms? I don't have anything that I can just throw on. Like, did you sketch something? Did you look for fabric? Did you find a pattern maker? What was the first first thing you did? You know, I was always known for changing the current styles that were out there. So I would buy things that I liked, but it wasn't low enough or I didn't like the way the sleeves were. So I would go to my tailor and say, could you change this? I want it like this. I want a button. I want it very low. And I did that for years before I even contemplated having any type of business. Right. And I have three children. And when my youngest was five years old, Um, and she went on the bus to school, I had a lot of time on my hands. Yeah. So I was like, oh, I'm I'm just going to learn how to make these sexy tops. The ones that I were seeing that I really did like were high-end designers and very expensive and didn't seem like it was worth it to spend $1,000 on a plain black silk top. So I said to my husband, I'm like, I'm going to start my own business and I'm going to learn how to do this. And that's what set me on that path. And I was quite naive, which I think helped me in the beginning because I didn't think I could fail. And one thing led to another. But in that journey of developing um, these tops, I I spoke to everybody I know who was in this business. And in New York, there's a lot of garmentos. Yeah. And if they're not one, they seem to be related to one. Yeah. Every everyone (laughs) seems to be related to one except me. Yeah. And every everyone was also very helpful. And willing to sit with me, talk to me, introduce me to somebody. So within that like first six months, I was introduced to an amazing pattern maker. She was one of my friends, best friends from high school. So she helped me. And then she introduced me to a sample maker. Um, and this was like all in Brooklyn. And it just seemed like the stars aligned because she was working for this company called Tula. And Tula ended up going out of business. So she had a few months to freelance for me. Oh, wow. And then after a few months, she got a job with the row. She's incredibly talented. 
And she's actually still with the road today. But in that time, she was able to help me. So I was able to find a pattern maker, find a sample maker, and then figured out how to make the tops that I sold during trunk shows. Okay. So I want to just kind of impress upon our audience something you said. You talked about the stars aligning, but the reality is those stars couldn't align if you didn't set this in motion. If you didn't say to your husband, I'm going to start a business. And if you didn't start seeking out conversations with Garmentos, with people you knew that had family members that were Garmentos, if you didn't start to spread that news, there's no way that you would have ever known that the stars were aligning for you, right? I fully agree. Some people always say you manifest this, you manifest it. I'm like, you don't do anything without hard work. Yeah. I mean, that no, is 100%. the bottom line. And it was a vision and it was a dream and it was somewhat naive because I didn't necessarily have a business plan. Yeah. And I just really was very scrappy and just spoke to anyone I knew. And one person led me to another person, which led me to another person. And for three years, I worked out of my apartment. So I was able to slowly build the brand. And when it got to a certain level, that's when things started to take off. Okay. So the first thing you started to do was sell your tops at trunk shows, right? Like that was the first step. So you had them made, you take these things to boutiques and you say, hey, let me set up a trunk trunk show here for you. And they're like, sure. It actually wasn't at any boutiques. Oh, okay. It was all um, at my friend's homes. Um, and the first one was actually at my sister's house. She's so funny. She's, uh, she lives in New Jersey yeah. and she's like this five foot little, like tiny thing, but she's like also scary when it comes to her friends. So I'm like, her <laughs> friends are going to show up for her. Yeah. I'm like, they are not going to mess with her. So I'm going to do my first show in New Jersey That's so smart. before I do it in New York city. That's so um, the smart. A little bit tougher. So that's what I did. I basically, anywhere I had a friend, Uh, that I would do a trunk show. And I had samples only and a color card. And the girls would pick out the silhouette that they liked, pick out the color. They would pay me 100% up front. And then I would go make it and ship it to them. So in terms of being scrappy, you weren't doing anything in advance. You weren't out any amount of money. You were always kind of filling whatever demand uh, was there. And you probably learned a lot by doing those trunk shows in homes and with friends and friends of friends, because they were probably able to be a little more honest with you about the fit or something they wanted or something that, you know, perhaps you were like, oh yeah, I could do that for that size person. Yeah. I always say one of my biggest surprises was that most people wear bras. (laughs) (laughs) So, Did you not, were you not a bra wearer? I have like a very small chest. I'm like a size yeah. A. I was like, wear it down. I'm like, who wears a yeah. bra? But it turns a out. A lot of people. Um, I would say nine out of 10 of the women yeah. who put on the top are like, oh, I, I, I wear a bra. I need to wear a bra. So that was kind of like opened my yeah. mind. Um, something small like that. And along those lines is I hear the same things from women about, what they like to wear. Some people are like, I like to cover my arms, so I want right. something with sleeves. Or someone's like, oh, I, I layer, so I really love sleeveless. So I, le- I learned a lot. And I went everywhere. It was New Jersey, LA, Westchester, Miami, Seattle. Like, literally, like, friends from all over were willing and happily hosted me. And then they would get all their friends to come. So that's what I did basically the first year of the business. And what transitioned from trunk show to being in retail? So almost every trunk show I went to, 
in those towns, and they were generally like small suburban towns, yeah. they said, oh, my friend owns a boutique, or I, I shop here, and they would love something like this. So they would introduce me to a, a local store. So I had to figure out what wholesale was, yeah. which I really didn't know. Yeah. I had to quickly learn that. And I spoke to a friend of mine at the time she owned the store, Scoop. Yeah. Uh, which was, you know, Scoop? Oh, yeah. So she was amazing. Her name's Stephanie Greenfield. Yep. She's like a master in, in fashion. And she sat me down and she taught me retail math in like an hour. And she taught me how to do a line sheet and how to name certain tops and colors. So she gave me a quick 101 on, on selling to wholesalers. And that's how I quickly learned that I need a wholesale price for this because they're not going to pay what I'm selling it to my friends. Right. And right. So that happened in a few, almost every suburban town. And then my big break was when one of the personal shoppers at Bergdorf saw that all of her clients were wearing Ramey Brook tops. And she was like, oh, we need that. And so she started to send some of her clients to me on the Upper East Side of New York in my apartment. And then eventually I hooked up with the buyers and that was my first big store that I got into. That's quite a store to get into. When you say you're a Bergdorf's, that's a big impressive name to other stores. To other stores and to your customer too, because... Yes, it's legit. Yes, yeah, it's, it's validation. Okay, go back to Stephanie really quickly because I our listeners are like, oh my gosh, what did she learn? I don't know about wholesale and retail <laughs> math. So basically, right. because you were selling at trunk shows to friends and family, let's call it, and I know it extended well beyond them. You didn't know everybody that came yeah. to those trunk shows, but you bought your items for, we're just going to do simple math here, for $10, and then maybe you doubled it, you sold it to your friends for $20. And I know that was not the price right. point. What was the confusing part when you became the wholesaler and were selling retail? Was it that you were like, okay, well, I'll sell it for $20, which was what you were retailing to your friends and family? Right. And then Stephanie said, no, that's not how that works. Like, Give us a little bit of that lesson. Yeah, she took me through, um, you know, what they did at Scoop mm -hmm. and what the expectation is of a department store or a boutique or a wholesaler, which I always understood there was like a retail price, sure. uh, but I didn't quite understand how you got back to what they bought it for. Got it. So, I mean, there's different math yeah. for different stores, but... In general, there's a markup, yeah. and for clothing, it's, it seems to be anywhere between 2.25 to 2.4, and maybe some people mark it up even more. Sure. Your cost has to still make you money, yeah. so you have to be at a certain margin. Yeah. So she quickly taught me math, and I could do a lot of math in my head. I told you from just like... My days of shopping at the discount yeah. <laughs> because we never bought anything full price ever. So I could tell you 20% off, 30% off, 40% off. Um, but you do need a margin. Yeah. And you do need to make money on your whatever you're selling in order to have a, a functioning company. Yeah. Not necessarily profitable in the beginning, but something that at least enables you to have some working capital. And I think when you talked about you didn't have a business plan, that's often people think the business plan is 
a kind of, this is what my idea is, but that's actually not the hard part, right? That's, that's not really what the issue is. Right. It's how does this fit into some sort of um, plan, financial plan of, okay, what are you going to need for marketing? What are you going to need for your costs? What are you going to need for your travel? Because you're going to Seattle and you're going, you know, in those early right. days. And then what do you need to sell that item for? Because you've got to build in your time. You've got to build in the making the product, the pattern makers, the sewers, all the people that are part of the business. And so I think people forget that piece of it. And then you can start to see where the math makes sense. Like all of a sudden it's, okay, in year three, to your point, you don't have to be profitable in year one, but in year three, look at how well we're going to be doing. Look at what the potential is. And I think that's where right. people maybe don't spend that time just looking at the the business plan from a numbers point of view. Would you say that was the case for you or was it something different? It was definitely the case for me. Like I said before, I started very naive. Yeah. And also when you work out of your home and you're a one-man show, there's no rent. Yeah. Uh, there's no employees you have to pay. During that trunk show time, I was getting paid 100% upfront. So I didn't have to worry about even yeah. taking any of, of my money to cover buying fabrics, paying the factory, shipping. You know, it's a fabulous model, one that was not easy sure. to keep up because you can only dig into that well so many times. And most people wouldn't agree to pay 100% upfront. Yeah. And I also learned that over time in places where people didn't know me. They'll give a deposit, but they're not going to pay you everything and to, to basically some stranger. Yeah. So... Slow and steady for me was, I think, one of the secrets to building the business. I wasn't in a rush. I took my time to learn and understand. And as you grow bigger, those require more expenses. Yes. Yeah. So if there's generally a creative mind, there should probably be a business mind um, to help mold together or else it's quite easy to fail. Yeah. On both sides. On both sides. You've seen it out there with plenty of brands that we love and adore, and you read that they go bankrupt yeah. or they're not in business anymore. And it's unfortunate because it's not that they're not talented. It's for whatever reason, they didn't have the right business partners to make that business work, to thrive. When did you figure out sort of what your skill set was and how to fill in those gaps? Because it's clear to me that you figured that out uh, early on. I'm fortunate where my husband really understands business and he doesn't, like he wears a black t-shirt and jeans, like he has no fashion sense, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but um, his mind works in other ways that my mind doesn't work. Sure, I could get there to a certain point, simple retail math, understanding how to price it, under, understanding certain things. Um, so I'm not completely naive to the whole process, yeah. but having somebody who understands businesses and how to grow them, how to build them, um, how to make them successful. I was very fortunate to have my husband fill that role for me and somebody I trust completely. Sure. And I've learned a lot from him and there's many things that I don't even need to ask him anymore because I understand, but there's also a lot of things that still like he shines a light on and it's extremely helpful. It's awesome to have that built in in your case, but I think 
regardless. I mean, if somebody doesn't have a partner that they can lean on in that way, it sounds like what you're saying is it's necessary for the sustainability of the business. So find that, find that match. Right. I believe so. And having somebody you trust, right? That's, that's, the trick is who who do I know has yes. my back and has the back of the brand, really understands kind of what my vision is for the for the brand. I appreciate that. And I think that's kind of good good wisdom for anyone listening and trying to think about how they might want to do this. So you are in Bergdorf's. This is your big like retail break. Then what happens? Because a lot of people get into those opportunities and it's a one or two time sort of uh, occurrence, and then it's back to business as usual. How did you use that to catapult you into what was next for the brand? I felt that I was like the acting as salesperson, designer, business person, like you name it. And the one thing um, I understood is I'm not good at everything. I don't know how to do everything. I need to find people who are experts in that field or I'm not going to go anywhere. Yeah. So... After three years, and we were growing because I was in boutiques and I was in Bergdorf's, um, I needed bigger space. I needed somewhere to move. And I had a few employees at the time who, you know, came up to the Upper East Side. Again, not a desirable place to go. Yeah. <laughs> if you don't live up yeah. there, to go to work. We found space in the Garment Center. And at that same time, I was meeting with multi-brand showrooms. Mm -hmm. And the multi-brand showrooms really understand the market. They work with all the department stores, all the boutiques. They work with everybody in the entire country. And they have those relationships. Yeah, and that's what they do. They have those relationships. They know how to negotiate. Um, they advise me on things that I need to do in order to succeed, in order to look good, in order to have them buy my stuff year after year after year. Um, so we ended up hiring somebody who actually was in the same building that I'm in now and that, I, that I've been in for over 10 years. And he represented Ramey Brook and he stuck a salesperson on it. And that person went to market and, and built Ramey Brook in other boutiques and other department stores. So um, we were in Bloomingdale's, uh, Neiman's, Saks, and ShopUp. So based on his expertise, and his relationships, we started to build a brand. And after a few years, we realized that um, we should bring in our own team yeah. because he's taken us to the level as best he possibly can. And now we need to figure out how to, you know, grow it bigger and better. Right. And, you know, the key word about that room was that it was a multi-brand showroom. So they have other brands they worry about, which is great. That's their job. But... We wanted someone to focus just on Ramey Brook. So then we started to bring in and hire our own sales Yeah. Team. And in the beginning, it's nice when you're in a multi-brand situation because those other brands who have been around longer than you are why people are coming in the door. And then they discover you. Exactly. But once you've been discovered yep. and you have those relationships, in order to scale, it seems like you really need to build that team within based right. on your experience. I mean, for us, it was important. Um, other brands may have a different experience yeah. um, and they may not want to deal with their own sales in-house. But for us, it's a brand with my name on it, my style, yeah. like everything about it's very personal. Yeah. For me, ev everything about this is personal. So it was important that I have 
everyone have those same goals that I have. And that works better when they just work for yeah. Brandy Yeah, and they understand they drank the punch, right? They really understand the ethos yes. of the brand. They understand the goals long term. Yeah. And trust me, it went through many, many hires to get to where we are today. Oh, I'm sure. Um, lessons learned time and time and time again. But we are so happy with everyone who works at Ramey Brook, and I feel like everyone's on the same page. I'm sure it took a while to get there and you learn to hire well along the way. Like you can tell, you can advise people all day long, like hire for this, don't hire for that. But it's, it's a personal connection that you have with those people and the way you trust them and the skill set they bring to the table relative to you, relative to the gaps that you have and the strengths that you have. But it's also people who understand the vision and the brand, right? You know, we're still considered a relatively young brand. And so my success is their success. Like we're truly growing this together. So also it's a sense of accomplishment for everyone who's, who's been here and is still here because they see the future and they're just as invested in this as I am. Hearing you say their success is my success. I hear that a lot, but I realize it's because I interview women. Do you think (laughs) that, and I have two sons and a husband that I love dearly. So this isn't a, like a male bashing comment. I'm noting that more and more women seem to build into their business. Um, It's part of the DNA of the business that all ships rise, right? There's this sense of if we all do this together, we can all share in this, in the victory, in the money, in the opportunities. Right. Was that always intentional when you were developing the company or is it just part of who you are and it got bred into your business? Yeah. I mean, that's a good question. I think it's who I am. Mm-hmm. I think women in general are more thoughtful and emotional. Mm-hmm. And, you know, women have do a a lot more than men, especially if they have kids. So I think, at least for who I am, it is ingrained that, you know, we all rise together. Um, And that's the way I was raised also. Um, And that's the way I am as a friend. So it just seems if we're all on board together, we have a greater chance of succeeding. And then, you know, for those people who don't work like that. My company is not for them. It's not an individual race. So we all have to be on board. And I feel like, you know, we travel together, we do events together, we make it fun. Um, And it really is fun for all of us when, when we work together. I mean, there's definitely highs and lows and, you know, COVID was certainly um, not an easy time, but you know, everybody stayed. Everybody wow. wanted to get behind Ramey Brooke, get behind everything we were doing um, and figure it out because they felt fully vested in this in this business. Well, that's something that you built before it got hard so that they could hang in there for those times. Going back to, it's not a one-person race, right? Like you had to hire people who had that same sort of sensibility is that particularly hard in the fashion industry? Because it seems to me it might be. Well, honestly, like in the beginning, nobody wanted to work for me. It was a brand they didn't hear of. I was working out of my apartment. 
Um, why leave a job with a brand that's been in existence yeah. for 10, 15, 20 years to come for this no-name girl who's never even been in fashion? Yeah. And I started my business at 42. Yeah. So like, why, why would they do that? It wasn't easy. It was some freelancers, some people who maybe didn't have a job, um, a lot of trial and error before we got to like where I am today. Yeah. This is a terrible stereotype. I don't mean to push it out there. I'm. This is a really broad uh, statement. But just was it hard for you to find team players? I would say maybe the first five to seven years, the team players that I thought I was hiring wasn't the right mm. fit for for Ramy Brook or for um, you know a growing company. Yeah. But since that time, it, it hasn't been that difficult. And I think we're more established now. So you could type in Ramey Brook and you'll see more about the brand, the company, what we're doing. So I think it, it's a more desirable place to come work at. Also now we're on 39th Street. I have four different offices combined together. People um, who work for us have come from Michael Kors, Donna Karen, Love Shack Fancy, big brands. Sure. And and we interview people from all over, and I do hear those nightmare stories, and I don't understand how they even stay at those jobs, but for whatever reason they do. Um, the culture here is super important to us. Um, we have happy written on the wall. We have music going. We're respectful of people's personal time, their kids, their family, their life. Um, if you come to work and you're miserable, it's really not good for anybody. Right. So we really encourage people to be happy yeah. in their lives so they come to work and they could thrive. So the culture of Ramey Brook is very important. Very, very important. I want to work for you guys. <laughs> Anytime. Sounds awesome. And then tell me about being in Saks and Neiman's and Bloomingdale's and obviously Bergdorf's. What is that like as a brand, as you see what's happening, the shifts in retail, you as the founder, what do you start thinking about? Because I know you have your own store now, you have a flagship store. So yeah. when do you start thinking about, oh my gosh, like we have to really understand what's happening in retail, how people are shopping and how we're going to adapt? So I really appreciate our retail partners. They have helped build um, the brand name. Mm. Without them, uh, Ramey Brook may not be as well known. And, you know, we, we ask people, how'd you hear of us? And they'll say, oh, I was at Bloomingdale's or I was on ShopUp. So for that piece of the puzzle, it is very important to help build Ramey Brook. Having said that, there are multiple fabulous brands sold at all these stores. Um, and I'm very competitive. So when I walk into the store and they have better placement, better space, more product, better signage, that motivates me to do something so I could be like that. And it helps me become stay on my toes, yeah. never stay um, settled. The buyers are knowledgeable about my competitors, what they're doing, where they're going, how they're doing it, what works well, what doesn't work well. Um, it's like free advice and it's real advice because they're the buyers and they do the buy, they do the selling, they got, they have the numbers. So I really learned from them. And then one of our biggest, um, strengths right now is 
building our website. Mm-hmm. We have a lot of information that we get from our website too. So if we combine what we learn from our wholesale partners and what we learn DTC, you know, direct to consumer, mm-hmm. it only will help us grow. So having their thoughts and what their customers like may be different than what our customers like. And it's also important to learn that. It's a very important piece of the puzzle. Right. And as far as our brick and mortar, we opened up our flagship right before COVID, um, September 2019. (laughs) Oh, gosh. Um, And for those who don't live in New York, it was a crazy time. We boarded up the store twice. There was elections. There was crime, you name it, besides. And then, of course, health and COVID. And trying to keep everybody employed and sell clothing to people at a time where they didn't need clothing. All they needed was something comfortable in their home. There were many, many, many lessons that I learned very fast during that time. But the brick and mortar, except for that small window, is a very important part to our business because it does for me what the trunk shows did for me when I started. It's that customer one-on-one experience and learning what they want, what they need, where they go. Um, you know, like now seems to be a time where people have destination weddings. Yeah. Destination bachelorette parties. And we get a, a wide range of women who come in, who come in and they have to go away for four days. And so we have swim if it's the beach. We've got sweaters if it's skiing. Right. We learn a lot. And then that helps us design into the next collection. We should say here for our listeners who think because we've only talked about your sexy tops, but you <laughs> expanded along the way and you do a ton more than than tops. You've got lots yeah. of dresses, lots of special occasion wear, it seems like. And I can see you being a great place for holiday travel. Yeah, holiday. And, you know, the stores were only considering me an items business, mm-hmm. tops and dresses, tops and dresses. So when they consider you an items business, they just buy items. And that's not what I wanted. When I went... To the department stores, I would see that, you know, Zimmerman had a full section. Like, why do they have a section? I don't. And, you know, I also learned, well, once you become a full collection, we'll be able to give you more racks, more space, more everything. We grew our collection in a way that made sense. We tops, dresses, pants. um, And then we started to add more textures and fabrics and and colors and prints and then we decided to go into jackets and sweaters and swim and cover-ups everything I love right I just couldn't do it all at once but in time I was able to build this business we're not big in accessories but we have a couple belts and we're starting to do collabs with some people so we're going to add collaborations with jewelers with shoe designers And start to really round out the whole lifestyle brand. It seems like uh, doing those kind of collaborations is a great way to test some waters too. You know, if you want to know, is that a direction we should go? It's nice to start out with those collaborations, people who've got skin in the game as well. But then you learn a lot about your customer and what they want from you. When you talked about going into department stores, did you say items only? We were an items only? Yeah, they considered us items. So... 
They buy people as either, I guess, items or, or a collection. A collection. Okay. So you're not necessarily recommending to the listener who's like, oh, okay, what I should take from Ramey's advice is I should start out with a collection. No. No. It was just that you grew into that because you wanted to hold that kind of space. But starting out in items actually was good for you because you could develop the business, your systems, your team yeah. in those early days. It was really my voice. It was my sexy top. So that was my story. Mm-hmm. I really couldn't find it. Um, and so that's what I was focused on. And I did it well. Yeah. So they came to me for those tops and everybody needs something. They weren't not going to buy me because I was just items. But in my head, I wanted to be bigger. I wanted to have more racks. I wanted a name on the wall. And with just tops, they weren't going to do that. Okay. So I knew that I had to build this whole collection in order to get there, which is what we did and are still doing. And the same holds true for the store, right? So then same thing. There are limitations from having, even though you're a full collection now in some of those retail stores, it's still different than having your own your own store and being able to be that close to the customer. And probably there is a your customer wants more of you versus the department store wants you and somebody else. Like they, they're looking for a, a right. mix and match. So it's probably been a great way to diversify, but a great way to get to know even more who that Ramey Brook customer is. Yeah. And we could test out things in our store and on our website where the department store may not believe in it, but I believe in it. They may not want to buy that top that isn't bra friendly. Yeah. But I know somewhere out there, <laughs> Some, somebody, somebody wants. could appreciate <laughs> my top that's not bra friendly. I love it. I love that you had to go through that process to realize that nine out of 10 women oh, actually wear a bra. It's so like interesting and naive. And uh, it's like amazing because that always bothered me that like things were not low enough. But there's a reason not everything's so low. Yeah. You're like, now I get it. Well, if you grew up with your sisters who had a similar body type, then you, why would you know that, right? Yeah, right. So (laughs) you've been in business long enough since 2010 to kind of have some highs and lows. What's been a a high, high and what's been a low, low? You may have already shared that, but with uh, COVID. Well, a high is definitely when you get that buyer to buy your collection. Yeah. I mean, that's a big deal. Um, For years, I was trying to get into Nordstrom. Years. And I even, like, had a connection. Like, my friend's husband went to college with, like, Pete Nordstrom. So I'm like, how can I not get into Nordstrom? It's like one of my best friend's husband's bestie from Seattle. Like, But um, it wasn't that easy. As lovely as he is and he was and he truly was kind and very like um, supportive, he did have buyers who that was their job. He wasn't going to supersede them. And I tried and I tried (laughs) and I tried. I flew out to Seattle. I made it seem like I was just happened to be there. And can we have coffee? (laughs) And, you know, they were kind enough to like stay in touch with me. And I noticed that even now, like they're always willing to like talk to you and maybe look at your lookbook. Um, but the time is not right. Finally, after I would say three, four years, um, they were willing to test me out. So they were willing to put me in five doors, mostly on the West Coast. Yeah. And then 
they realized that we did extremely well in the Southern Belt. We do a lot of color. So the women in Florida love color. Uh, the women in Texas love color. So they realized that their business could use a brand like Ramey Brook, something that is sophisticated, um, yet sexy, something that has color. And um, so they have expanded into more than the five stores. I don't exactly know how yeah. many we're in right now, um, but it's at least, you know, three times or four times that amount. Still, like, building the relationship. It doesn't necessarily belong in every single one of their locations. Yeah. But that's, like, a high for me. So that is just being scrappy and not giving up. I had a connection. That connection um, was lovely, but um, it still took a lot of scrappiness and grinding and persistence in order to make that happen. And it's not over once you're in the stores. It sounds like no. you're still developing those relationships. And and you don't want to be, by the way, in a store that isn't going to sell well, right? You actually want to work with those buyers so right. that you have success. It's not good for anybody. That was a high in a specific story, but you know, all of those are like highs to me. Um, now we're starting to go international and when these people want, want Ramey Brook, I'm like yeah. so excited. So that never gets old um, and it's very exciting. And then the lows, you know, there, there are a lot of lows. That could be anywhere from like somebody I love who worked for me who leaves mm -hmm. for another job. Again, you know, it's not personal, but sometimes sure. I take it personal. Um, COVID clearly was unbelievably challenging for a brand who's known for date night sexy tops, who's known for dresses you wear for occasion, you know, who's basically not known for sweatpants yeah. in your house. So that was a time, and I understand, there wasn't a need for people to buy Ramey Brook because they weren't going out. So that was a very scary time. And like everything, bad times pass. So you just have to know how to weather those storms in order to get above it. And fortunate for us, and probably the category overall for women's contemporary brands, in 21's business started to soar because people were at home for so long that they couldn't wait to get out and buy something new and feel good about themselves. So that um, challenging time became a very high time for us. Yeah. And it's probably the lesson for everyone in business. You know, when one door closes, another one opens. So it's just always remembering that. And to your point, just how do you weather the storm? Having a plan to weather that storm, you're guaranteed right. to have to have yeah. those moments. And what have you personally learned from starting this business, from growing this business, from the highs and lows that you described? What have you learned about yourself as a woman? I've learned to listen to others more. Mm where sometimes my responses are quick and I think I'm right. I learned very quickly <laughs> that, oh, I'm, I'm not right. And I probably should have taken a minute to think about my answer. Mm -hmm. um, and that could be anywhere from the design team showing me something that I'm like, oh, who would wear that? To that being like the number one selling style. So oh. <laughs> um, I've had a really take a hard look at myself and how I react to things and be more thoughtful, which is, I guess, a good life lesson, no matter what stage of life that is. There's something about 
and maybe it's it happens with with everything if you have a corporate job if you're you know raising kids whatever but there's something very specific when you have your own business it feels like the lessons are just constantly coming at you and so they're sort of shaping you as a person yeah. along the way so I, I always love asking that question to entrepreneurs. So before I let you go, and thank you so much for sharing your story. Um, I can't wait to actually go out and, and buy some product. You know, our listeners are women over 40 who are trying to figure out what to start for themselves. And I love giving them stories like yours of look at how much you've done. You started in your 40s. Look at what you've accomplished in 10 years. But I also know that along the way, we have these little hacks and practices that we we bring with us to sustain us. What's something that you'd love to share with our listeners? I mean, there's a few things. Um, I just want to say, like, and the age, it's it's funny. Now that I look back, I'm obviously older. Yeah, yeah. I, I was thinking, wow, I was old when I started, but now I'm, like, <laughs> oh. much older than that. And, you know, my mother worked her whole life as a teacher. And then when she retired, she actually became a blogger. She's now 82 years old and writes a blog. Um, My sister, my older sister, she's a psychologist. She um, has written two books. And the second book she wrote is called Your Best Age Is Now. And it's all about women who are in their 40s or 50s or even 60s and 70s who want to reinvent themselves. So it's very common, I believe, that women who have, you know, raising kids, raise kids. They want to do something. They mm-hmm. want to feel relevant. Yeah. And have they want purpose. to be successful. Yeah. They want to have purpose. Um, for me, it started when my kids got on that bus and I realized I had a chunk of time yeah. that I wasn't quite sure what I was going to do with. Going to lunch every day didn't seem like the right thing for me. Yeah. And I would say a lot of my friends started later in life. But it's also easy to give up. Because you've already gotten so far at that age, like, why put the stress on yourself? So I would say one of my hacks or advice that I would give is really don't give up. Mm. Uh, Try to pivot if it doesn't work the way you wanted it to. And just kick down those doors. I just say, just get out there. We have a lot of years to live, God be willing. Yeah. And you should find a way to make it fulfilling and successful. I mean, there you have it. You just ended the <laughs> podcast. You gave all of it in a nutshell. Aside from your sister's book, because we want to shout that out, but what are you reading right now? So I'm reading um, Lessons in Chemistry. It's actually a slow start, but I don't know, my other sister read it in her book group and people seem to like it. I only read books that friends recommend because yeah. I feel like I don't have the time to just like read all these books. But anyway, that's what I'm reading. And so far, so good. So far, so good. Okay. We'll take that recommendation. And then, Ramey, I think you've already answered this question, but what's a piece of advice that you would give a woman who wants to launch something and she's over 40, much much like you were? Um, You've already talked about kicking down doors. You've already talked about kind of going for it. When people say, you know, why you? I think your answer is why not you? But is there anything specifically in this kind of midlife space? One of the biggest advantages to starting a business um, later in life is that you really know who you are. Mm -hmm. You're established, um, your family, your marriage, your friendships. You become more aware of who you are. And also in that journey, you have probably made more connections than you even realize. Yeah. 
And as I said before, I didn't really know too many Garmentos, but they may be related to them. And I would have never known that coming out of college in my 20s. I probably wouldn't have even known it in my 30s. But because I met people through the kids and I met people through friends and, and just my life um, in New York, even as a mother, I was able to connect with so many people like Stephanie Greenfield, yeah. like Jennifer Miller, who's a jeweler, who were all very willing to help me. And what I also found was a lot of women are very helpful in helping other women. So I just went with my notebook and I took notes and they wanted to see me succeed as well. Sure. So, uh, you know, that's the beauty of starting a business, being an entrepreneur a little bit later. Not to mention the average age of an entrepreneur, I believe is 40 yeah. or 37. It is not somebody in their 20s. Yeah. So you have the luxury of learning a lot up until that point. And then you also have the luxury of being physically fine and being able to work, you know, another 20, 30 years sure. and have a successful business. Yeah. And I think the the data is in that it's the successful businesses that are started by people after 40. And more and more, the data is showing that they're women owned. So let's keep doing our work. <laughs> Absolutely. Do you have a daughter? You said you had three kids. I do. Okay. I have two boys and a girl. So what's something that you want her to know about midlife? Like as she's approaching adulthood, as she's sort of, you know, getting ready to venture out on her own, what do you want her to know about this time in life that you're living through? Well, I think um, you have to make smart choices at any time. Yeah. And the smarter choices you make when you're younger, the, the better and easier your life may be when you hit this time yeah, in your 40s, because you're going to go through a lot. You know, relationships may not work out. Marriages may not work out. Kids may have issues. So I think it's important just to realize that you are strong, you are smart, and you could really get through anything. And life is not always going to be so easy. But if you um, are true to who you are, if you're a good, kind person, you know, life's going to reward you. That's good advice. We'll record that and give it to my kids tonight at dinner. Yeah. And then uh, you talked about the things that you've learned through the highs and the lows and launching this company, this brand. What has the work that you've done with your brand, Ramey Brooke, done to liberate you, the woman, Ramey Brooke? I think it's given me a, a sense of confidence, feeling good about the choices I make and whether that's in the designs or, or how, how I carry myself. Um, it doesn't come with as much insecurity. I mean, if we could all have that insecurity um, be managed earlier in life, what a gift it would be. But the fact is yeah. it takes life to undo that and to give us that security and to liberate us from those insecurities. So thank you so much for sharing your story. Thank you for all the wisdom in here. I I'm looking forward to listening back <laughs> myself. And just tell us really quickly, what is your URL and your, do you guys have any social media and Instagram handle? We do. Okay. So it's actually all Ramey Brook. Awesome. R-A-M-Y-B-R-O-K. So it's RamyBrook.com. You can follow us on Instagram. It's Ramy Brook. 
um, YouTube channel, Ramey Brook. Thank you so much, Ramey, for spending this time with us. I so appreciate it. Thank you, Netta. It's such a pleasure meeting you. And Liberty listeners, thank you for spending this time with Ramey and with me. And we will talk to you next week. Bye. Liberty Road is broadcast on all platforms, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, and more. If you like what you've heard, please follow, rate, and review Liberty Road on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. It helps us to know if these episodes are inspiring and equipping your ventures. Liberty Road is produced by Netta Jones and Elizabeth Joy Windham and music by Jordan Flower. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.